Good morning, Storefront Church. Uh, good to be with you today. Before we hear the scripture read, I want to introduce uh, to, to you a very good friend of mine, Reverend Robert Calabretta. Rob is uh, a pastor, is the lead pastor at King's Cross Church out in Flushing, Queens. And he's been a good friend of mine for a number of years now. Um, he's been a great source of encouragement to me personally um, in the times that we've known uh, or since we've been friends. And, uh, and he's also, uh, um, he and, and King's Cross have been supporters, financial supporters of, of Storefront. And so he's family. Uh, Rob is, uh, uh, is the husband of Sarah. Um, he is also an artist who has produced uh, his own music, uh, of ambient music. Um, and so uh, we didn't, we'll try and get a link and throw that into the chat so that uh, we can uh, prepare him for his uh, world tour. But Rob, thanks so much for being here with us and for uh, delivering uh, the word of God to us. Let me pray uh, briefly before Angela reads the passage. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for the ways that you, you bring people together. And I thank you for Rob and uh, King's Cross Church, which is doing a great work out in Flushing. And I thank you, Lord, that we so believe in the work that you are doing in this, in this world and in this city, that we support one another. And so, Lord, thank you for King's Cross support. And thank you for Rob for being here for us today. Uh, would you use him? Would you put him at ease? We thank you for his many gifts. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that he's here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Angelina. Today's scripture reading is from 2 Samuel 19, uh, eight, verses 8 through 15. Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate. And the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And all the people came before the king. Now Israel had fled every man to his own home, and all the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, the king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, who we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? And King David sent this message to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Say to the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring, back, bring the king back to his house when the word of all Israel has, be, has come to the king? You are my brothers. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, are you not my bone and flesh? God, do so to me, and more also, if you are not commander of my army from now on in the place of Joab. And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, return both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over to Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, well, good morning, Storefront Church. Uh, I'm thrilled and honored to be with you all. Um, 
as David has just said, uh, we have enjoyed a really rich and loving friendship. And when Susan and David were given this vision uh, to plant a church with many of you uh, just a little over a year ago, um, that really came into being. And you guys just celebrated your first year anniversary, I believe, just last week or uh, around about. Uh, we, were, we couldn't have been more thrilled and couldn't have imagined a better person, a better family for the job of uh, just calling people to Jesus uh, there on the High Line. And uh, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that if I wasn't a pastor and if King's Cross Church wasn't here in Flushing, I, I very well could see myself, Sarah and I, there at church with you both. Uh, and so it, it's a thrill even through Zoom to still just be there with you all. And hopefully we'll have a chance to worship together in person uh, soon. Well, uh, let me pray for us and then we'll get into our Palm Sunday passage, which is not your Orthodox passage, if you notice, but we'll get there. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, in your tender love for us, you sent your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, to take upon himself our nature and to suffer death upon the cross, giving us an example of great humility. Mercifully grant that we may walk in the way of his suffering and come to share in his resurrection through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. The world needs a wash and a week's rest, wrote the great poet W.H. Auden in his magnum opus, Age of Anxiety. And, and just thinking, man, if there is a title that fits our present moment, that, that's it, Age of Anxiety. Um, it is the cultural moment that you and I live in, uh, touches each and every one of us in a particular way, the anxiety of our time and the unrest, right? The world needs a wash and a week's rest because we are dirty and because we are weary. And let's not put any pretense before us. Uh, just knowing David and the way he would lead a church, uh, I, and just seeing how you guys worship, there's authenticity here and freedom for us to come and just admit that, I think. We come dirty and we come weary. Uh, and yet somehow it's Palm Sunday, right? Uh, might have images from your childhood if you grew up in church or just saw people going to Palm Sunday that this is supposed to be the pristine Sunday. So what does that have to do with a city of anxiety, the age of anxiety that you and I live with? Um, well, as a matter of fact, it has a lot to do with it. I couldn't think of a better time because if you think about it, if you are here and you're feeling akin to Auden and living in an age of anxiety, Palm Sunday is all about Jesus, if you think about it, entering into an anxious city uh, that in many ways Jesus knew would crucify him by the end of the week, right? And he rides right into the city of harm. Um, and listen, there are some of you this morning here uh, who have never felt more vulnerable in this city, uh, have never felt more at risk for just being who you are. Um, and the hatred and violence around us and in our news feeds 
uh, is just adding to that anxiety. And I think we need to recognize that as we begin worship. But can we just stop and say that Palm Sunday reminds us then that you and I are not alone right now. That the Lord Jesus Christ knows exactly what it means to move into a city, to move towards a city uh, full of fear and anxiety, vulnerability, uh, the possibility of great harm coming to himself and indeed did. Um, and yet he is the defender of the weak. And so Storefront Church, if you are here and you're feeling vulnerable, if you're feeling uh, fearful for your well-being, just, just step out your front door, perhaps. Um, let's lift our weary heads, our weak and hearts to him who is able to defend us and knows exactly what it's like. That being said, uh, let's look at this seemingly unrelated passage. And I'm going to parallel David. This is King David's return to Jerusalem, his triumphal return to Jerusalem. Uh, and there are actually quite a few parallels we can draw and see hopefully Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem uh, in a new light, in a new facet, taking it from looking at it from David's angle. For David is the ancestral king to Jesus. Um, he is the Davidic king from which Jesus came from, uh, the line that he came, came from. And therefore, much of what David does and who David is foreshadows Jesus. And so we have every right to look at this passage and ask, what does this tell us about Jesus and his entrance into Jerusalem? So taking it from that angle, uh, we're going to be asking today, what does it mean? You guys have been looking at the series, uh, reimagining what it means to be a church, I believe. And so I don't know if that, that, that series was uh, supposed to end or not, but let this sermon hopefully feed into that imagery that David has been leading you through. What does it mean for you to be reimagined being a church in a city of anxiety? Um, let's look at how David entered in. Let's look at how Jesus entered in and let's follow him there. So three things here today, uh, age of anxiety, the answer to anxiety, and all things being made new. And coincidentally enough, I didn't make that up as we sang that first song, it lined up perfectly. So Holy Spirit, thank you. Uh, freebie there. So firstly, age of anxiety. Now th uh, this passage means nothing to us if we just read it as it is. So let me fill in some of the background. There is tremendous uh, tension and drama and a dilemma here. The kingdom has just experienced a terrible divorce, all right? And not in a marriage, but here's what happened. David's own son, Absalom, who was incredibly arrogant and rebellious, uh, united the kingdom against his father, David. Uh, David had, had a weak moment politically, right? His numbers had dipped. And so Absalom takes advantage of that, unites the people with false promises of of, of giving them the kingdom they had always wanted, provokes a coup. And uh, the result is that David and his those loyal to him have to flee from the, ro the royal city for their lives. David, the rightful king, has to flee from Jerusalem. And Absalom uh, then begins hunting them down. Uh, he unites an army to himself and begins hunting David and those loyal to him. And yet... Uh, the Lord is loyal to David, and uh, Yahweh's kingdom will prevail. 
and David is not destined to die here or now. And so Absalom is actually the one who will fall in the great clash. David's elite guard get the best, uh, the upper hand, and Absalom dies at hand of uh, David's generals. So now this brings us to our passage because all of Israel, okay, here's why there's tension. Here's why there's a dilemma. David is, is still God's chosen king, but what will he do now with the treacherous and murderous and rebellious people that are his? The majority of Israel have just participated in the greatest acts of high-handed rebellion and trees, and they've thrown all their chips in with Absalom, and he's lying dead. So what's going to happen next? Uh, David, here's the picture. David and his camp are on one side of the Jordan. And here's Jerusalem and Judea on the other side. And the people of Israel and Judea are like, who's going to make the next move here? Um, can we trust him, right? That's what verses 9 and 10 are all about. They're saying, yeah, he was our hero. David did save us from the Philistines. But that was kind of before we tried to kill him. That was kind of before we tried to uh, unite with his son and oust him. Uh, so what do you think he is going to do when he comes back to town? He is going to have a, all of our heads on a pike by the end of the week, right? And they were right to think that. That would have been the most practical line of thought for David. There's tremendous anxiety and unrest here in Judah's hearts, uh, for they have betrayed their king. They've removed him from their lives effectively. They've taken him off the throne. And if you will, storefront, Palm Sunday tells us the very same thing, right? That the reason for our weariness in the world, the reason for our anxiety, the reason for our unrest is that the world we live in is in a state of rebellion. It's in a state of betrayal that we've swapped out the real king for a counterfeit. Um, and that delusion can only go on so long before things start to break down. And indeed they have. Right? So C.S. Lewis uh, helps us imagine a little more uh, effectively what, what this brokenness, what this curse does to the land when the king is removed. In The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe, if you remember, um, it gives us the land of Narnia, uh, full of animals, right? Sentient animals, right? And um, however, at the beginning of this story, Narnia is cursed. Uh, Narnia is in a perpetual state of winter that never ends, it's never Christmas, right? Is how he words it. Um, and the reason for this is that the true king, Aslan, the lion, like David has been forgotten, betrayed by his own kingdom. And everyone therefore mistrusts one another. Everyone is pitted against each other. And there is a state of fear and anxiety in Narnia. So you think about just for a moment, our world right now. What are the things that are contributing to your weariness? Uh, just this year, right? We've just seen uh, put before us in kind of unprecedented viciousness, the amount of racism and hatred, uh, violence and political divisiveness and the experience of loss on so many levels of COVID-19, right? And here's what we conclude. There's something deeply misaligned in the human heart that continues to generate the deep pain we see and experience in the world. That the heart of anxiety 
it is the human heart that we don't want the true king to actually return. If we're honest, if the Bible, uh, if we hear what the Bible's saying, that we don't want the king. Someone put it this way. We want the kingdom and all the promises of it without the king. I mean, it, it, let me just stop and, and ask you for a moment to do a heart check with me. Could it be that in this past season you wanted the kingdom, but you, you're pursuing it without the king? Now, see, that was Israel's misstep, and that's what led them to this place of deep divide and brokenness and anxiety that led them to be uh, kind of in this state of animosity, of unrest towards God. Could it be that in your life right now, you've been pursuing the blessings of the kingdom without the king? That's entirely possible. Um, you could be going, you know, to a, you are going to a church that preaches the gospel every week that puts forward Jesus as the savior of not just the world, but hopefully for you every week. And yet it is possible for the best of us, so to speak, to somehow get caught up in pursuing the promises of the kingdom without the king. And you see how that just tears, not just a person apart, but an entire society apart when we try to pursue the promises of the kingdom without the king. Herein lies the age of anxiety, because we know deep in our hearts that we are not in a position of peace with, with God, with God's rightful king. So question for you to consider as we move on to the second point is what is your Absalom? What might be your counterfeit king this morning? Where is that causing unneeded anxiety in your life? The invitation is to pursue and return to Jesus in Holy Week, perhaps the easiest week to do so, the most invitational week to do so. Secondly, the answer to our anxiety. So now David being the king that he is, being the shepherd king that he is, knows his people well. And he knows the issue does lie in the hearts of men and women. And so what do you do with a king of traitors? He knows that he has the right to swiftly move in and take them out, right? Every single person who has stood against them, that's a sensible thing to do, we've said. And so he's the first to make the move. And yet what comes next, no one would have dreamt, no one would have imagined. And if you understand the tension if you understand what the people were expecting the first move to be from david this is breathtaking uh, commentators note this was a politically daring move as it was dangerous for david to take and yet it is so utterly gospel reaching towards jesus uh, we might even say jesus david appeals to them with these words uh let me embellish it a little he says, little kingdom, should you be without a king? Sisters, brothers, don't you know? Have you forgotten you are bone and my flesh? You are my bone and my very flesh. You're like, you are family to me. Is there any reason for me to delay in coming back to you and being your king again? And you just imagine how this sounds to people caught in complicit treason, right? They're guilty, red-handed, expecting to hear a message that was more like, I'll be there by nightfall and I'm gonna raise a city with you and your family in it. That's what they're expecting. And rather they get this 
the kindness of, of a friend, of a brother who comes to them and says, brothers, sisters, you know, why, why are we delaying? You know, let, let, let's return together. Let's, let's pick this up where we've left off, right? David extends a merciful and gracious uh, invitation. Let's start over again. The scandal, the scandalous level of mercy really uh, hits a peak at verse 13, though. Verse 13 says, and say to Amasa, right, the same message, you're my bone and my flesh, you know, please be my captain, my general, right? Now, that doesn't mean too much, much to us unless we know who Amasa is. Amasa was the general who led the coup, the rebellion against David. Uh, so think Judas here among the 12. And yet Jesus comes and he turns to him this holy week, as we remember, and still gives him, breaks the bread with him, gives him the cup. Says, won't you, won't you be mine? Perhaps, I mean, if you're anything like me, uh, you're, I mean, you and I were probably imagining, or this is drawing up imagery of uh, that passage in the Gospels as Jesus is sitting there in a packed house full of ragamuffin people just pressing in around him. And a knock comes at the door and they tell him, Jesus, your family is here. You need to respond to their inquiries. Your family is looking for you. And Jesus looks about that ragamuffin group and he goes, here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Whoever does the will of my father, these are, this is my family, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Storefront Church, you, you and I need to be staggered at the level of intimacy Jesus looks at you and I with this morning. That no matter what you've done, no matter who you've become, Jesus' invitation to you is to say, but I, are you willing to submit to me? Because the way I look at you as my brother, my sister, my mother, my father, I'm going to treat you like family. Will you let me treat you like that? Believer in Christ, this is how Jesus looks at you. Do you believe that? Now, this is language that goes all the way back. This is romantic language. Uh, and I don't have time to get into it deeply. But if you know anything about the story, the first romance in the Bible, uh, this is exactly what Adam says when he lays eyes on Eve for the first time. He goes, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, right? It's the compassion of familiarity, of seeing yourself in the other, right? This, with this, David woos the kingdom. He romances them. He's saying, man, you, I'm married to you, don't you know? How could I leave you? Maybe you've heard this story before, um, but I think it illustrates well the invitation to our anxiety. The scandalous grace that God comes to us with despite our rebellion against him. Cristina was a woman who grew up outside of Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, and Cristina longed to be in the glitz of the city, but her mother often warned her of the dangers of, of the city, but one day, Christina secretly packed her bags and ran away to pursue her life in the city. 
And when her mother realized that Christine, what Christina had done, her heart was broken because she knew the only way her daughter would be able to make a living and survive in Rio. And so Christina's mom took the bus to find her daughter. But before going, she spent all that she could on taking little photos of herself in a little photo booth. And so when she got to Rio, Christina's mom began searching the more seedy corners of the city, the bars, the motels, the strip clubs, uh, but to no avail. But in each one of those places, Christine's mother would pin on the walls a photo of herself with a handwritten message on the back. Well, months passed and Christina had in fact become employed at a brothel. And one morning she stumbled down the stairs of a hotel only to see on the wall a photo of her mother. And she took it down, recognizing her mother's handwriting on the back. She read these words, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, please just come home. Friends, I, I want you to know that that's what Jesus was doing in Jerusalem this week, about 2000 years ago. He was coming to deliver a message and the message was himself, of course. And his message was this, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, please just come home. And Storefront Church, that is what you are doing there in Chelsea um, by this uh, skyline, uh, highline. Um, you are God's message to that neighborhood, to your neighbors, to your workplaces. Uh, a picture of your heavenly father's love and invitation. And the message goes just like that. That whatever you've done, whatever you've become, you need to know that our father is saying to you, please just come home. It's a message of family and Pastor David has taken you through, I know, because I'll, I stop in and I, I love listening to your guys' sermons, a message of you guys being family together, a, a community of family. Well, that's not meant to be kept to yourselves. It's meant to be an invitation to others to come into the family of God. You see, and that's what David is doing, even though he had to act alone. Uh, he, the lone actor and uh, on the stage, comes to the people and says, you know, you are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Please, won't, you, won't we come home and make a home here together? That's your invitation. That's the honor. That's the dignity. That's the joy, the privilege that you get to steward into the, your part of your neighborhood. That's what you're doing there as a church. Um, and that is the, what the Spirit bring, has tremendous joy in working through you to do. And so I hope that for those of you who are joined here today, you are excited. You could be, couldn't be more thrilled at what God is going to do with you this year as things open up again. And as uh, God will be providing a space for you to, to meet, to gather in, for that to be your continuing message, as you stated at the beginning of your worship. However, this, this, this uh, doesn't just end here. In the now, what, what are we inviting people to? Is this the best there is? Is this the best it could be? And you and I know if you've been in the church for more than a month, you and I know things are not perfect. And you and I know there's no such thing as a perfect church. 
And you and I know that there is no such thing as a perfect community. And so could, is this imperfect family who will continue to love one another and hurt one another and forgive and reconcile, is that the best there is? The answer is thankfully no, that one day all things will be made new. So let's end with that. That if Christ came the first time to a city that he cared about, he will come again. And that's what Palm Sunday is all about. The last verse in our passage, verse 15. Oh, let me just read this. So the king came back to the Jordan and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. And so there's this tremendous reunion in the middle. There's this tremendous meeting at the Jordan, this ancient place that was of utter significance to the people of Israel, God's people. Uh, it's this moving picture of a people pardoned, obviously very humbled, and yet thrilled that this was their king, right? He didn't come to meet them with a sword. He came to meet them with salvation. And so you wonder if they must have met him under the palm branches there. Uh, and the picture is a great host of people coming out to the banks of the Jordan to receive their king. And we're told they met at a particular location on that the Jordan Gilgal, uh, where the ancients and Joshua had passed over long ago, the same place. And Gilgal means, if you remember the story of Joshua, rolled back because the waters of the Jordan rolled back uh, when the people passed through. And the people of Israel said it was as though God was rolling back the shame and the trauma of Egypt that God was rolling back all of our broken history and we're giving us a new future. You can just imagine the people as they met David after what they had done, as they met their king, so much of that fear and that anxiety was being rolled back as they saw his face and how he gladly came to his people. Now on, on this Palm Sunday, brothers and sisters of Storefront, let's consider our future, that one day we will come out to meet Jesus. And one day the heavens will roll back as a scroll we're told in the book of Revelation. And he will roll back the fear of death itself. Indeed, this Sunday, this coming Sunday, next Sunday on Easter Sunday, he will, we're reminded that he rolls back the stone, thus rolling back the fear of death itself. And on that day, uh, when he returns. Well, let me just read it from Paul's point of view. The first Thessalonians 4, it says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. We'll meet in the middle, just as, as our passage read. We'll meet in the middle We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Uh, the magnetism of our King will draw us almost in a way so that we are drawn up to greet him and welcome and usher him back to his kingdom. Just want that to just kind of simmer there in our imaginations to be romanced with that, if you will that one day you and I will, will be part of that welcoming procession. That We're not gonna sit back and wait for him to get all the way here. We are going to be, all of creation, all of the people of God will be so 
elated that he is, our king has returned, that we will rush out to meet with him. That's the beautiful picture. That we won't, we will not be able to wait another second. When he returns, we will go out to meet with him and draw him back to, to his kingdom, to his throne. And on that day, friends, he's going to roll back the suffering of this life. He will roll back the losses and the sacrifices that we made, particularly uh, the sacrifices that many of you made to and are making to plant this church. Uh, he will roll back the pain uh, and the fear and the anxiety. He will roll back uh, the racism and the injustices of our day and age. He will roll back the political divisiveness. He will roll back um, geopolitical boundaries that causes war and pain and strife. Um, and the world will be united under King Jesus in perfect peace. That's why we go out uh, with palm branches today, friends. Uh, that's why we can proudly, with heads lifted high, say, Hosanna. We're not ashamed of this king. We're not ashamed to follow this king storefront. Uh, and whether you're in Flushing, whether you're in Chelsea, whether no matter where you are, we have the same king. And that is a beautiful truth. And in this age of anxiety, to the extent that you can see him reigning in that world to come, you'll be able to invite him as a king of peace in this one. And Lord knows we have much work to do as bringers of peace, as proclaimers of peace. And so let's do that with glad and, and, and unashamed voices. Let's invite the king into our neighborhoods. Let's pray. On this particular Palm Sunday, Lord Jesus, as we uh, feel the loss of not being in one another's company, uh, of not brushing our hands over perhaps palm leaves strewn about the sanctuary, um, of the familiar sights and sounds uh, of the people of God being in worship together, um, one thing we do have in this moment that gives us tremendous hope is that you have been with us through this difficult season, that you have not abandoned your church, but far from it. You've given us this word that says, we are your bone, we are your flesh, we are the body of Christ, in fact. And how could you abandon, how could you neglect your own body? And so Jesus, you will take care of your body, particularly the part of your body, which is storefront church. Uh, you've provided them uh, a family uh, to pastor and to lead uh, and a shepherd and David and you've given them leaders and wise counsel from brothers and sisters to lead this church and talented uh, folks to minister into the body and you've uh, you are continuing to draw people here with a purpose and a reason so that as you get as they gather Lord willing, later this year, perhaps only in a matter of months now or weeks, um, you would do, begin doing a tremendous work uh, and continue, that you've already started, but will continue to do through Storefront Church and their neighborhood. And we are excited for that. And so we are waiting in anticipation. We are, uh, with cries of Hosanna, welcoming you into this neighborhood once again and saying, you belong here, Jesus, this is your neighborhood. And therefore, we belong here as well. 
So we, we're thankful. We're full of hope. And in the midst of this age of anxiety, give us a measure of your peace. It's enough for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.